to our guest a quick message from our sponsor. We've had the COVID virus, and now we have the monkeypox virus. And we found out that a month or two before each of them, there were simulations of how they might be spread upon the world. What do our globalist masters have in store for us next? You can be sure there's something. But what can you do about it? The best thing you can do is to keep your immune system resistant, resilient, and clean. You can do that by going to zstacklife.com. Dr. Zelenko has developed a system, a protocol supplement system that has saved thousands of patients that he treated with very few hospitalizations. You can go to zstacklife.com and get the ZStack protocol. You can get the protocol for children and the detox formula. If you go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CDM, you can get a 5% discount for off all of the products. So keep your immune system healthy as we wait for the next virus to come down the pike. Go to promo to go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CDM for a 5% discount. And now let's get to our guest. Welcome to our Globalist show. Um, our Globalist Conversations is started because of the World Health Organization meetings in May. And we're going to continue with our global conversations because they're so important because the uh, there are global entities that basically want to take over our health sovereignty in every country of the world. They want to uh, vaccinate 100% of all the healthcare workers across the globe. They want to vaccinate uh, 100% of all those who are 60 years of age and older and 100% of all those who have underlying issues with their health, no matter what their ages are. So until, until we get this straightened out, we're, we're going to have discussions about what exactly the World Health Organization does, who are the people at the top, what are their characters, uh, and, and also at the... Um, Davos, because it's important for people to know the, um, the relationship between those who attend Davos and those who are working at the World Health Organization. So today, we have our good friend, Andy Wakefield, and Andy, welcome to the show, to discuss a film that he has produced that is extraordinary, that directly uh, relates to the World Health Organization. Andy, Let's talk about this film, how you got involved with it. Um, it's going to be released. The Diabolical Agenda is the name of it. Uh, it's a powerful film. It's a powerful title. And it's a scary story because it's the first time that I, I can actually say that we have people who have come forward to admit that there is such a thing as medical trafficking in the world in the in the terms of vaccinations and i've been i've been covering trafficking for 22 years so this to me is a, a game changer in terms of what we're seeing all over the world right now christine thank you very much you're absolutely right and your point about the 
World Health Organization's attempts to usurp control of global health policymaking, vaccine passports, this film could not have come at a better time because it throws a, a very, very harsh spotlight on the World Health Organization and the depths to which they are prepared to sink in order to achieve their globalist objectives. And this is a story you know very well. And this is a one an acrimonious debate that has been going on for some years right. between, on the one hand, the World Health Organization, and in the context of the film, the Kenyan public health authorities, and on the other hand, the Catholic Bishops Association and the Catholic doctors in Kenya. And it relates to the alleged use of anti-fertility vaccines originally produced in the early 70s and developed through the next 20 years and then deployed among millions of women in developing countries and done so under the, the guise of a neonatal tetanus prevention program. In other words, not only were many, many women apparently exposed to an anti-fertility vaccine without consent, without inf information, uh, but they were deceived into doing so by being told they were actually protecting their future babies or their, uh, their fetus from neonatal tetanus uh, by, by taking part in a tetanus vaccine program. And this story was out there and it seemed to have been resolved in favor of the World Health Organization and the government. What had happened is they'd taken samples of the vaccine, the, the, the tetanus mm -hmm. vaccine from the field that were being deployed, given to women of reproductive age. And they took samples from the government stores. They had the same batch number. And when they were analyzed in independent laboratories, the majority of samples from the field, those actually being used, contained the anti-fertility vaccine. But 52, all of the samples from the government stores were negative. And so the government came out, they went after, they attacked, they went on the offensive, they attacked the, the Kenyan uh, Catholic Bishops Association, they attacked the doctors, they hauled the doctors up in front of their medical regulatory bodies with the threat of being struck off the medical register, having their license taken away. They implied very strongly in the media that there had been tampering with these samples in order to give the, doc the Kenya doctors, the Catholic doctors and the Catholic bishops associations the result they wanted. And they accused them of deliberately trying to undermine uh, tetanus programs. And that, Christine, is where this film comes in. That is where this story gets really, really interesting. Because yeah, cameras were invited back in to expose what really happened. I won't spoil it for any of your listeners now. No, I want them to watch it. I don't want to, I mean, I don't want them to even, you know, get to the end of the story, but it, but it, it's, it's frightening and it's timely uh, because of everything that's going on right now with the World Health Organization. I want to, to bring in an, our, our second guest here, Shabnab Muhammad, if I can get her technologically in here. Here we go. Shabnam, thank you for joining us from South Africa. Um, wonderful to be here. Hi, Andy. Hi, lovely to meet you. Yes. So, so when we're talking about the World Health Organization, and we know from the General Assembly last month, they're 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 gunning for Africa because there's there's less 
percentage of people who have been vaccinated across the continent. Um, Andy spent some time there. I've certainly spent some time there for, over my lifetime. And, you know, this is, this is sort of like the, the, the field where they do a lot of experiments. And we've often heard about them. Um, some of them have been documented in terms of experimental. Um, Shanam, talk to us about what's going on in Africa in terms of the WHO and the vaccinations, because Andy's film, which is about what happened uh, in Kenya, uh, is, is a heartbreaking film. It's going to be released on uh, June 10th. I, you know, my dream is to see that it goes absolutely viral. Uh, and and it, it starts a conversation that shakes people up. But t tell us what, what what the climate is right now in terms of the vaccinations, not just in South Africa where you are, but across the continent. So in general, there is a mistrust of vaccine programs on the African continent. And that is because of a long history of medical experimentation, often, if not always, without informed consent, but which something the WHO and its pharma investors have invented called implied consent. And of course, we know there is no such thing when it comes to your bodily integrity, uh, your safety and your dignity. And so there have been a number of examples along the years, apart from this very important uh, issue historically that Andy is raising in his film. But also in 1996, Nigerian children um, were experimented on without proper informed consent with Pfizer um, products, 11 of 200 children died and their families only received compensation or some of them in 2009. And then also there was a malaria study facilitated by the WHO. And this was reported in the British Medical Journal in their words to constitute a serious violation of international ethical standards. Again, why? due to the lack of informed consent from Ghanaian, Malawian, and Kenyan children. This was the GSK vaccine, Mosquirix, and it ended up causing 10 times the amount of cerebral malaria as opposed to unvaxxed people and a doubling of the, of the deaths of young girls. So Africa hasn't forgotten this and never has the WHO demanded accountability from the pharmaceutical cartel. In fact, Quite the opposite, it rubber stamps these experiments, and we've seen that reach a crescendo during this uh, coronavirus chapter that we're in right now. And it is partly because of that, uh, that experience, that historical living memory, as well as a general mistrust in political leaders. Um, and I must add, a great faith in natural and indigenous medicine. And those three factors have combined to result in lower vaccination rates than in the other continents, lower rates of infection from the coronavirus. Of course, there's a great debate as to what the actual cause of the coronavirus symptoms are. But nevertheless, uh, I think Africans have had enough. And that was very clearly reflected at the World Health Assembly number 75, where the African bloc of 47 countries uh, said no to the amendments, 13 proposed amendments to the international health regulations, which taken together, you look at its architecture, its impetus, uh, and the potential risks, in essence would constitute a usurpation of sovereignty. From increased surveillance, to access to genomic testing, 
to giving the Director General almost unilateral power to declare actual or potential emergencies of international concern to the WHO expecting uh, a potentially affected country to come back to them in 48 hours or else. And of course, the weapon that's being wielded behind the scenes of potential sanctions with countries who do not comply. So Christine, as you can see, what is intended is to use the IHR and that new pandemic treaty now being called an accord as a weapon of socio-political control. And ultimately the WHO is a, it's a corporate. It's not a health focused organization. It doesn't right. act in the interests of people. And all of that is rooted in conflicts of interest. No, that's that's a good summary because it's all true, and you know, and and, and it really is. It it was forty seven countries that, that supported these amendments that were put forth um, by the U.S., and now it's forty seven African countries that are standing up to. You know, I, I love the fact that the Africans may save us all from this utter, utter madness. Andy, you did your um, residency in Kenya, didn't you? Didn't you? I was there as a medical student. I was working up in a village on the shores of Lake Victoria called Seredidi. And uh, yeah, I had a wonderful time there. One thing that did medical patronism, you know, that kind of the, the ability of organizations like the World Health Organization to step in and threaten people. I mean, literally, and you, you, in the movie, you hear it from a very senior obstetrician and gynecologist uh, who says you don't offend, you don't cross the World Health Organization in, in Africa because they'll come after you. So I'm absolutely delighted to hear that Africans have led the way in rejecting the World Health Organization's diktat and said, no, we've, we know your game, we've had enough, we're not doing it. And it, it, it's reflected also, if you look now at, uh, in the US, the, the uh, uptake of the vaccine is such that 72% of the population have rejected the CDC's recommendations on COVID vaccination. This is based on their own numbers. They've either said no to the first dose, no to the second dose, or not having any boosters. 72%. And if you watch Bill Gates the other day on television discussing the outcome of this campaign, uh, then he was a broken man. A broken man. He, well, he, know, he, he knows that it's not working. It, Absolutely. It's, it's it utter one failure. of the biggest failures they've ever exercised, ever perpetrated on mankind. Shimna, in, in, um, in you're talking to your, your folks down in South Africa, um, is, is there, do you get a sense that somebody's going to say, we're going to give you some foreign aid if you, you know, if you take these vaccinations from America? <laughs> Well, that's always the case, isn't it? Two things happen. One is the funding of academic institutions and young people who are then groomed to become a part of the cesspool. Uh, and the other is the promise of foreign aid. Now, to establish the kind of systems that the WHO, via its investors, is pushing uh, through the IHR or the new pandemic treaty, it's going to cost a lot of money. And um, most African countries don't have access to that, to that kind of money because of colonization and because our resources don't belong to us they belong to these mega corporations and supranationals and so therefore it would be a case of the carrot or the stick the stick of course being sanctions if you don't comply uh you know or downgrading your economy um using highly corrupt institutions and mechanisms 
And the other would be the promise of these loans via the IMF and the World Bank. Now, South Africa has, to a large extent, resisted those loans since the advent of democracy. But they have been taken up at least twice um, you know, since 1994. Certainly, what we have going on in South Africa is a widening of the gap between the 1% at the top and the 99%. And it reflects in high levels of unemployment over 30%, uh, or at least that's what the statistics tell us, and over 70% of young people being um, unemployed. And so therefore, it is quite easy for the political elite um, to dress up these IMF World Bank loans as a good thing. However, socially conscious South Africans know that this is an absolute disaster. I have no doubt that these loans will be offered, but there's also a great political stirring within the country and its leadership. In particular, President Cyril Ramaphosa, who has been accused of uh, some criminal activities. So there's going to be a massive shakeup. However, to uh, free the country from the clutches of the IMF, the World Bank, and of course the Black Rocks and Vanguards of the world, is still a struggle that the country, the continent, and indeed the world needs to engage in. What about the Chinese influence in Africa right now, Shabam? I mean, I mean, it's 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 you know it has gotten its grip on um, many of the countries because of the economic coercion packages that they offer. And do, do you see that having any influence? So I prefer to think of it, Christine, as the influence of corporates as opposed to a country as a whole, because I think those kind of binaries um, blur what's really going, behind, going on behind the curtain is that it's governments and their handlers as opposed to the people of the country, right? And mm -hmm. so therefore it is the oligarchs of China or the oligarchs of South Africa or the oligarchs of America, for, for example, that are actually responsible for much of the turmoil, the corruption uh, that we're seeing. Uh, and of course, the capture of state-owned resources um, in an attempt to privatize them, such as uh, ESCOM in South Africa, which is in a total state of crisis. This is the energy provider. Mm -hmm. It has been crippled and comatose over years. But this is, um, as some of the greatest thinkers, political thinkers of our time have said, uh, this is capture by the private industry. It is privatization that's at play. And so what they do, I think if you watch uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, for example, is that they collapse state-owned enterprises to say, well, you can't, you know, clearly you can't do the job. Let us take over, us being this corporate, uh, and we'll run it for you. But of course, that's not going to work either because the profit lies in the system being broken, not in it functioning properly. But at its root, I think, Christine, is conflicts of interest. And we are really digging into that subject in South Africa in particular. One of my colleagues, uh, Fafri Hassan, is an expert on this. And we can see these conflicts of interest all the way down the pyramid from BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, the IMF, mm -hmm. World Bank, uh, Bank of International Settlements, you know, the media, pharmaceutical industry, big tech, big agra. And I want to give you a couple of examples when it comes to the WHO. Now we know that it's predominantly funded by private stakeholders. And these of course would include the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Gavi, Wellcome Trust, but their direct contributors also include Big Pharma. So J&J, &J, Merck, Pfizer, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Their personal injury and in their personal injury at the WHO protection and in-kind contributions also dominated by Big Pharma 
They've signed a long-term partnership agreement with the Wellcome Trust that's not only donated to well, by Big Pharma, but also Goldman Sachs, uh, JP Morgan. So it's mm -hmm. all of the same people that have played a role in the banking crisis. They're all in the same club. And as George Carlin says, we're not in it. Uh, the Global Vaccine Action Plan appointed a leadership committee consisting of, again, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Gavi, NIAID, UNICEF, and the WHO. Its funders and decision makers include individuals who hold patents in medical products. And so if that's not glaring enough for us to say this organization is completely corrupt, then I, I really don't know what is. But I do think that we are at a moment in history with this awakening that's happened over the last two years where we can see them for what they are and decide to not only defund and exit, but also to build new alternative and parallel systems of self-sufficiency, health and sovereignty. So well said, Andy. You know, it's, it's a beautiful summary. And it you know, really is. struck me is when I was in Africa, so there are two things. One is the susceptibility of politicians to corruption. It's a tragic thing to say, but it That's was true. so obvious to us at the time. And even during the sort of three, four months that I was there, numerous politicians were hauled up for corruption. And so they are very, very vulnerable to the influence of big pharma uh, and money coming in from the World Health Organization as well, as well as you point out as the stick that if they do not subscribe to their those policies, they will be punished for it. The other thing is, and this is relevant to the film, is that when the World Health Organization and others look at this film, they will dismiss some of the compelling characters, the utterly compelling characters who were filmed in, in Kenya and they will say they were lying, they made it up. Let me make a point, and that is that tragically, when I was there, life was very cheap in Kenya. Mm -hmm. These people have taken an extraordinary risk to go out right. on camera, on film, and say what they have said in this film. They have literally put their lives on the line. You don't do this lightly. You don't make up a story just to subvert the government's policy. You don't do that. So when people watch this film, bear in mind that in Africa, life is much cheaper than it is here, tragically. And to eliminate your enemies is, is a risk that any of these people who came forward to this film take. It is, it is in all my travels in Africa, and I love the continent. I love the African bush. There's no, there's no place on earth I'd rather be than out in the African bush and wake up, you know, to the sounds and the motions of, of, of nature. But it is, it's a different place. It's different from the West. Uh, and when you expose, you, you, you put not just your own life at risk, you put your tribes and your family's life at risk. Uh, and so these people should be commended for speaking up in the in the film, um, and tragically, one of them didn't didn't survive. But it it, it is uh, it's an important message for people to really take a look at in the mirror of just how corrupt we have allowed this. And 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 I I want to call it, a, it it's a global shame that we have allowed this to get where it is today, uh, and and people are not held accountable. 
and <clears throat> most of them should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, you know, it, 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 even those who have, who own stock in any of these corporations. It's not just the people who are on the board. It's not just the CEOs. It's not just the, the PR and the damage control people and the lawyers. It is everybody. It's the system where we have, where it's not into wellness, it's into profits over people. Um, and it, it's going to, it's going to take us, I think, a while to crawl back to any normalcy um, because I don't think we can go back. I don't think we should go back and keep our, you know, our blinders on because this is such a level of corruption all over the world just because of money and control. Yeah, I think on that note, a fascinating observation. When I got involved in this, Christine, and we've talked about this before, when I got involved in issues of vaccine safety 30 years ago, there were a handful of people worldwide who were prepared to talk about this, this kind of issue, who expressed overtly concerns about vaccine safety and absence of safety studies. Now it is more than half the world. That is the silver lining of COVID. It, it has woken people up to what is really going on. And more than half the world are now on our side. They may not perceive themselves as anti-vaxxers, but the mainstream media most certainly does perceive them as anti-vaxxers. They are not, not compliant with policy. And that is uncomfortable as it may be. That is what winning looks like. People are waking up to this issue in a way they have never done before. And that was evident in Bill Gates's face, that recognition of what has actually happened as a consequence of what will turn out to be one of the greatest mistakes that global health policymakers have ever made. I am totally convinced, and I've said this publicly, but I'm just going to repeat it here. I don't think anybody in the world would listen to Bill Gates if he didn't have any money. I don't think he's that smart. I don't think he's that moral, and 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 it's and it's just because he has money. This th this is not this is not a giant intellect by any stretch of the imagination. Nor nor is he uh, morally sound. I've never, but but the model fits for what he has done and where he has made his money. It's a reoccurring um, generation of money. It's vaccinations. You know, it, 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 the the whole concept of universal ongoing vaccinations to address the different uh, coronavirus families. And, and, and these, these are in the documents that are in the U.S. government. So this is, this is not a theory that's out there. This is what, where they want to go. They want to have universal vaccinations for all the coronaviruses in the world. And they want, and this is the engine that creates the market for the vaccinations. Um, and, and, and it's just, it's, it's a hideous model. These people should be ashamed of themselves. They base it upon fake science. They, they, the, the, the theory now with the World Health Organization is the one health combining the animals, the plants, the human beings. And it's basically parts of it, uh, you know, involve depopulation. Uh, because they, these people think that there's overpopulation in the world, and that's why we have some, you know, issues of climate change. So, it, 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 you know, part of this is Frankenstein thinking, and and I think that that's that's what I feel good about is that you know more than half the world, Andy, as you say, is standing up to these people and saying enough is enough. But it still isn't stopping them. And that's why your film is important. That's why the discussion with everybody about what real, what corruption looks like, because corruption is destruction. Corruption is killing people. 
Um, and I think it's really important. Shannon, talk to me about what's going on with the press in Africa, because are they are they grasping the level of corruption and the fact that the WHO has has its sights on the continent? Well, not the mainstream or the old media, Christine. Perhaps that's more accurate, because even amongst the, those that had a fairly good reputation prior to this coronavirus chapter have now been captured by funding. Um, and there was a choice for them between uh, letting go of their staff because the lockdown has just been so harsh and deliberately so to push people into corners or accepting funding to continue the business going. And so Bill Gates was one of those investors that opened up the taps and invested about $316 million dollars in various media organizations, including South African media and including media outlets on the African continent. But what this has done is for the people realizing what independent media actually is. They've figured out that these guys are not telling us the truth, firstly. Secondly, what else have they been lying to us about, uh, you know, in service to their corporate paymasters? even prior to coronavirus. And thirdly, it's led to an exponential mushrooming of independent media, the people, groups, platforms, technology. I was in a was a wonderful on a wonderful platform here in South Africa, very well respected, when I started tackling the Ivermectin topic, and they gave me the freedom to do that. And I did it. You know, I interviewed uh, Tess Laurie, Pierre Corey, Paul Marek, uh, by the way, Tess and Paul uh, both have their roots in South Africa, as I love to say here. Um, <laughs> and it was going really well. You know, people were really, what is this medicine about? Oh, it's a repurposed medicine. It's Nobel um, linked Nobel Prize for Professor Satoshi Amora and, um, and, um, and uh, Campbell, I think it is. Um, and of course, the other thing about ivermectin is besides its multi-mode of action, there are also indications that it could have an impact on cancer and HIV. This would decimate the pharmaceutical industry. However, it reached a point where my, my interviews were causing the platform of the station's YouTube channel to receive strikes. And so I decided to do, do the right thing and just bow out gracefully um, and continue with my own show called The People's Voice um, and also join Trial Site News where I've interviewed people like Robert Kennedy. But how much of that would have happened had we not been forced to realize what old corporate media actually is? So again, mm. massive opportunity. I'm so excited about it. I've um, been seeing the amazing work that people like Dal Bigtree who've also experienced you know, similar sort of challenges from old media doing um, on his show, The High Wire. But so many people have just um, have just realized, you know what, we've got to redefine media. We've got to revolutionize media. We've got to be the media. And it was one of the most popular panels at the recent Better Way conference by the World Council for Health, talking about exactly that. And for me, it's a great time to be alive. Well, there's going to be some shifts. I mean, that's that's the upside of this um, morass is that you know it's an it's a window of opportunity where we we can really say, you know, we're not going to put up with this any longer. At the same time, none of this is going to succeed uh, unless we have ethics in the room. Andy, I want you to talk about you know what it was like as as a doctor waking up and 
realizing that that your industry because i can say this i mean in my industry I, I'm, I'm seeing the lack of ethics i didn't always say that um but i know but i know i can see it clearly now um and the conflicts of interest and the paymasters you know shutting down because there's too many there's too many people in my generation who are still on the air that know better um and and we did have dissent about vaccinations and health and medicine and conflicts of interest what was it like for you going through this experience? I think way back, you know, I was very naive. I was a young academic uh, surgeon. And when we did our initial work on, on uh, autism and it, its relationship to MMR, I thought, well, people will find this interesting. Here we have an epidemic of this incurable, intractable problem that no one really understands. Maybe we've got a way of turning off the faucet. Maybe we've got a way of... Uh, learning how we could treat these children. I couldn't have been further from the truth. I was confronted by my own colleagues, pediatricians, who said, Andy, we cannot be seen to question the safety of MMR vaccine. That wasn't a medical perspective. That wasn't a scientific perspective. That's what will our colleagues think of us in the Royal College if we start to criticize this vaccine. Now, I said, what about the children? Mm -hmm. You're to help. That was a secondary consideration. We cannot be seen to challenge the safety. Then I spoke to the dean, and dean, the dean of the medical school, Ari Zuckerman, said to me, if you continue this vaccine safety research, it will not be good for your career. And there was a man who was heavily funded by the Wellcome Trust and GlaxoSmithKline for the hepatitis B vaccine and Merck. Now, there was a man whose very survival in the medical school was dependent upon the pharmaceutical industry. And I, it became rapidly evident to me just how corrupt the system was. And at the time, you know, it, before the cancel culture really existed, it was an interesting situation because on the one hand, there was me. And on the other hand, there was the CDC and the World Health Organization and UNICEF and the pharmaceutical giants and the British government and the Royal College of Pediatric. Pediatric. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was an interesting, interesting odds. Um, and so it was a very, very challenging time. I learned one thing, and that is that as they stripped, I had a lot of letters after my name as they gradually pulled all of those away and threw them in the trash. Um, it was a, surprisingly, paradoxically, it was a huge weight off my shoulders because I realized that these were actually a mechanism of control. Mm -hmm. We can give you these titles, but we can also take them away if you don't behave, if you don't comply, if you step out of line, we can take away your license. We can destroy your career. And that's what they did. But when they did that, actually, um, and I went into to filmmaking, it was a much, it was a, I miss clinical medicine hugely. But it, I, in clinical medicine, you're able to help the child sitting across the desk from you. In filmmaking, you can help thousands, tens of thousands. Christine, you know, you know how this mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. Millions of people. And I think that part of that dramatic shift worldwide towards a much more critical attitude towards government policy making in, in respect of vaccine safety is reflected in the power of film. An extraordinary thing is the power of film. People understand film. You tell them a good story. You stick to the truth. You stick to the facts. And it changes things in a big, big way. I remember last year when I was talking to, uh, I was interviewing the vaccinated injured groups and they weren't yet on camera and, and it started to expand. 
And one of Fauci's colleagues said to me when I asked him about these vaccines injured, he said to me, they're urban legends. And I remember getting so upset by that comment. And I thought, I've got to get these people camera ready. We've got to put these people on camera. People have to know that they exist. Their stories exist. And a friend of mine was <clears throat> American uh, lawyer who lives in Europe said to me at one point when I told him I was going to take this, take on the corruption and expose it, he said, you better be careful. And I, and I thought to myself, why, why? And then I heard the story and I have a tape of a reporter here in the United States who did a story on a uh, vaccinated injured human being uh, in Pennsylvania. And that reporter got a phone call from somebody very high up at Pfizer, basically threatening her career. And I actually have the tape. And I, and I thought to myself, I would love to get a phone call from somebody from Pfizer. I would love to get a phone call from somebody from Moderna because they need to be taken on. Because most of these people, when you get down to it, they're cowards. They're cowards. That's what bullies are. That's what people who don't have ethics are. They're cowards. And I, th I think it's going to be a very interesting two years when people like the truckers in Canada, the Africans pushing back on the World Health Organization. And that's big. That is big for, for, for the continent to say to Europe, to Australia, to the UK, to America, to Canada, take your vaccination someplace else, but you're not coming here. I mean, that, this is Africa standing up to the colonial power. That's exactly it. It's, it's such a powerful moment in history. And it's only because the African continent has been colonized that there is this resistance of no more. It is because of that. Had it not been the case, then perhaps there would have been more of a submissive attitude. Um, I really think that is making the world of difference. And I want to underscore what you're saying in terms of listening to the survivors, those who have survived the mm -hmm. coronavirus injections and the voices of the victims from beyond the grave. In South Africa, I, um, I have an organization called Transformative Health Justice. It's a nonprofit. And we realized that two things were important. One is raising mass awareness about ivermectin. Mm -hmm. um, we were kicked off social media for doing that. The second is to record the injuries that were happening. And so we started a project called SA Bears, and it's meant to be alternative independent, independent volunteer reporting. Initially, government actually reached out to us, and that would be SAPRA, the regulatory body that is highly conflicted by funding by the Gates Foundation and Big Pharma, and most recently has... Um, again, stymied the progress of ivermectin in our country as a result. So they reached out to us and said they'd like to collaborate on our reporting system. Hmm. Uh, and when they realized who was behind it, they then stepped back. But what we're seeing in the system, Christine, already, and this is minus the huge amounts of money that government has, our money, because government doesn't have any money, right? It's all ours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have that. We've got very limited resources to raise awareness about reporting. 
And so the objectives are three. One, it is to uplift the voices of the survivors and the victims. The second is create greater data transparency because clearly that's missing. They say there's no causation, correlation doesn't equal causation. A couple of months ago, we had a, an understanding vaccine causation conference with 18 global experts, science, medicine, law, and advocacy. We can prove causation. And the third objective, of course, is to enhance accountability. They do have a compensation system, but it's not funded by Big Pharma because our governments have given the pharmaceutical industry blanket immunity. But more than that, if you look at the contracts that have been signed with them, essentially, they're signing over sovereignty because as security, Big Pharma and Pfizer in particular have asked for our military bases, reserve banks, embassies, blanket immunity, and billions in cash. Now, because of unlawful non-disclosure agreements, not all of these contracts are public. Some of them have reached uh, the public space. I've yeah. interviewed people like Ehden Bieber. He's one of the whistleblowers. But what Pfizer's CEO Borla said is that these contracts are essentially the same. So right now, we're sitting in a position where our sovereign assets could be captured by the pharmaceutical industry. So colonization and imperialism has taken on a very different form. It's not necessarily through dropping bombs, even though that certainly continues. It's now through the pharmaceutical industry. And the victims who are talking to us, because it's not just about the statistics, it's about their stories. Christine, their lives have been destroyed. They can't function. They can't work. They wish they weren't living anymore. They feel like burdens to their families. And it's it's not just the acute, like, you know, having the heart attack devastatingly enough, but also the chronic conditions, autoimmune, lifelong blood clots, cancer. And given the broken healthcare system in South Africa, where are they going to go? And so certainly there now needs to be campaigns for compensation. We need to demand that, of course, compensation is not going to cover the pain and suffering, um, the trauma mm -hmm. of the experience. But we've got to, I think, globally put our minds together to push back for compensation. Can I mention one thing in relation to your strategies? And that is something that was really brought home to me in VAX2 when Polly on the road going across America, interviewing lines and lines and lines of vaccine injured children, they reached a real low point. I mean, you, you can only take so much of that and listening to so many of those stories. And then one day they opened the door to the bus and looked outside and there were lines and lines of unvaccinated children. Parents had bought their healthy, incredibly healthy, unvaccinated children. And that was devastating because the, the, the authorities want you to believe that these children who are unvaccinated are a danger to everybody else and they're unfit and unhealthy and they're dying of all these diseases. They are the healthiest children I've ever seen in my life. That is what children should look like. And so when Polly started interviewing the unvaccinated, suddenly it took on a whole new complexion. And so I would suggest to you that in addition to hearing the stories, of those who have been injured, also capture the stories of those who 
have not been vaccinated because it offsets that concern that parents might have that if they don't vaccinate, their children is going to their children are going to end up dead or damaged, and that is most certainly not the case. It is it is the fear factor. It is you're going to get sick. I actually had because you know I'm I'm not vaccinated. Um, I actually and, and I'm not going to get the COVID, the COVID uh, shots whatsoever. And I had a friend of mine tell me, well, Christine, you're going to die. And I said, I am. I said, we all are on God's time. But it, but it, 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 it's it's I, I never thought that I would be alive where people would actually say that to me. It just, you know, I mean, this this we have seen the best and the worst of humanity, I think, in the last two years. And I and I've, I've seen people who I thought were really smart turn out to be really stupid. I've seen a lot of people that I thought had curiosity who have none uh, witness people who, who who just line up like sheep and authorities say, do this. And they say, how high should I jump? I mean, I, I think I think it is amazing. So I love the fact that Africa, Canadian truckers, people are pushing back and basically saying to these maggots all over the world, enough is enough. We're not going to buy into it. And I think that shaming should happen on a global stage to all of these people who think that they have the right. It's not just that they're doing it. It's that they, they truly believe that they have the right to do this to another human being. And that level of arrogance should absolutely be exposed across the globe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's arrogance to the level of evil. I mean, yes. Ted, who's not a doctor and was re-elected much against the will of the Ethiopian people who consider him, quite frankly, to be a terrorist, mm -hmm. um, he was in South Africa in, in February or, or March, and I'd, um, I covered that in, in trial site. And he was here to promote mRNA production facilities in Africa. These products that are experimental, they clearly don't work. They're expensive. We certainly can't afford them. And on top of that, Christine, need to be kept at a particular temperature. Right. Now, South Africa, with its electricity crisis, is never going to be able to maintain that. And so how much are we plowing into these, these projects um, that captured leaders bring to our shores under the guise or the you know, perceived credibility of the World Health Organization? Um, when its previous director general, Margaret Chan, and you must have seen the documentary called Trust Who, essentially mm. said they don't have a choice. They've got to go around with the begging bowl. And so their stakeholders are more non-state actors than they are state stakeholders. And it's why um, the WHO has been called in the Journal for Integrative Medicine, I believe it was in a review, that the WHO is the greatest threat to public health of all time. But I think visually, if we were to think about what they are, they literally have these puppet strings above them. So they are the front. And we've got to look behind that curtain to see who stands behind it. And the conflicts of interest, and I've really been researching this issue because I really do think it's key, come in many forms. There's actual potential of perceived, there's financial, non-financial, there's direct or indirect personal relationships. Uh, conflicts of role and duty and predetermination. In other words, um, they've determined the outcome already, like they have 
on the new pandemic accord, um, interestingly enough, the hashtag Stop the Treaty reached 415 million people in seven days, which I think is a testament to the power of the people. It's mm -hmm. why they use the word from treaty to record, right? So they're shifting direction. Mm -hmm. But it's why they, um, they're pushing so hard for this accord. Round one of public participation was in April, over 35,000 comments, the majority of which said we don't need a pandemic treaty. So what do they do at the World Health Assembly? They decide, there's a little footnote, that they're not going to have round two, which was planned for the 16th and 17th of June. So they don't actually care what we think. I mean, this is something we've known right. all along. But if we needed any further evidence that this is an organization that needs to be made irrelevant, that certainly is it. So the hashtag Stop the Who campaign is where we need to move globally. While we may have had a significant victory at the World Health Assembly, the campaign to stop the who and to co-create better ways of living has to continue. That's true. That's true. Andy, you, you get the last say here. So pitch your movie. Well, uh, yes, please. It comes out on the 10th. It's going to be accompanied by a series of expert roundtable discussions uh, and comes full circle back to concerns now in, in the UK, the US and uh, first world countries about uh, infertility issues associated with other vaccines, the HPV vaccine, the coronavirus vaccine. I dare hesitate to call it a vaccine, but uh, for, the, for the purpose of this conversation, let's just stick with that. Please go to infertilitymovie.org, infertilitymovie.org. I think that landing page will be up in the next day or two, and then sign up for the movie. It is absolutely free, and we need to get it out far and wide. So infertility dot org uh, uh infertility movie dot org or uh, after the 10th please go to team 1986 team 1986.com and again you can stream the movie for free from there team 1986.com and we will we will be um airing it as well on um our, our over our networks and so we, we want the world to see this film it's uh it's something. It's very dramatic, and and it's and it, it hits you in your face. Well, thank you both for joining us, and um, we hopefully we will all see you again, and we'll we'll have something cheerier to talk about. You know, maybe the success because the, we'll have the high highest numbers for this film. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much, Christine. Oh, thank I should. You, and Andy, all the best.